for today, I want to turn back to Galatians. Not a surprise, I'm sure. Last week, I started talking about what it means to be a spiritual person. Now, I saved part of that message for this week. In fact, as I've talked over the last couple of weeks about what it means to be a spiritual person, I've talked, if you'll recall, about what it means to walk in the Spirit, what it means to bear spiritual fruit. I wanted to save one component of what it means to walk with God in the Spirit for a separate message, because I think that it is a component that is important to everybody because we generally deal with it every day in our lives. And what I'm talking about here is the matter of divine guidance. I think that every Christian person involves themselves in divine guidance, don't we? We want to know what God's will is for our lives. When certain situations arise in our lives, we want to know what we ought to do, what God wants us to do. And then in a more general sense, we certainly want to know what God's purpose is for our lives personally. And if you gather all that up, it really speaks of what we have come to term in Christian circles, divine guidance. Now, I have a definition of divine guidance that I would like to give to start the message I define divine guidance as simply discerning the will of God. Discerning the will of God. Now, there's a lot behind that that I'm going to talk about today. But I want you to note that definition, discerning God's will or God's mind regarding a particular situation. That's divine guidance. Now, I want to juxtapose that over and against what many people define as divine guidance, which is simply getting leadings or direction. And there's really a difference between the two. It's, it, it's one thing for God to somehow speak to me, whether it be through His Word or by the Holy Spirit, and say, Thus saith the Lord, you go over here and do this and do that. Anybody can do that. In fact, He even gave one prophet in the Old Testament, did He not... Uh, direction through his donkey, Balaam's ass. So if we're talking about just getting direction from the Lord, it doesn't need to be all that profound, does it? But it's a whole other thing once we start to talk about discerning the mind of God, discerning the will of God regarding anything, because all of a sudden when we begin to talk about that, we're again back to our theme in Galatians that has popped up so often. We're back to fellowship with God, communion with God, and knowing God. If you're going to be able, and if I'm going to be able to discern the will of God, to discern the mind of God, we pretty much have to know God, don't we? To some extent. Or we're not going to know what he thinks about something. We're not going to know how to look at something from his point of view. Now, to illustrate this distinction between God simply giving direction and us discerning God, I want to draw a couple of contrasts. Now, by the way, don't hear me saying that God never simply gives direction. I'm not saying that. God can speak anytime he wants to anybody he wants. And again, there are biblical examples of that. 
But what I'm getting at is that for a child of God, there needs to be something more between us and God going on than simply God saying to us, David, you go over here and do this. David, you go over here and do that. I trust that we understand that communion with God and knowing Jesus and walking in the Spirit involves a little more than that. It involves a knowledge of Jesus and a walk that proceeds from that. And so what are some contrasts? I'll just give a couple to to illustrate what I mean. When we talk about leadings and getting direction from God, we generally want God to speak his mind to us, don't we? That's sort of what we're asking. God, what do you think about this? Tell me. And that's sort of a leading or a direction that we're seeking from God. And that's okay. But the Bible, rather than talk so much about getting direction from God in the sense of God speaking his mind to us, the Bible talks more about us having the mind of Christ. Can we see the difference? It's one thing for God to speak his mind to us. It's another thing for us to have his mind such that we instinctively are able to discern where God is in something and to know what his will is. Another contrast, leadings and direction, is more along the line of God telling us what he wants. God, what do you want me to do in this situation? God says, here's what I want you to do. That's God giving a leading or a direction, and sometimes that could happen, not ruling that out. But there's a whole big difference between knowing what God wants in that way. There's a big difference between that and knowing God himself. And recognizing what his heart is along a certain line. And so, when we begin to talk about divine guidance, we need to understand that this is not just about God handing out marching orders and us following what he says. That certainly could be included, as I've mentioned. But divine guidance is part of a greater whole. And the Bible treats it as such. It's part of what it means to know God. To be a spiritual person such that I know God so that I know what is of him and what I know what is not of him. And we're going to talk about that today hopefully a little more uh, at length. And so divine guidance, principles of divine guidance, we could call it. Now, a number of years ago, 25, 30 years ago, when I was involved more in charismatic circles and the like, we were taught that God leads us. We were taught, frankly, and I would hear people speak like this, we were taught that the normal Christian life really ought to be God telling you stuff every five minutes. And if you listen to some of the people on television today, you would almost get that impression. I listen to some of these sermons, and they act as if they have a constant dialogue going on between them and God. Well, the Lord said this, and I said this back to the Lord, and then the Lord responded to me thusly, and I said this back to Him. And this conversation goes on, you would swear for 15 and 20 minutes between Almighty God and the person that's relaying this kind of a thing. And 
I would go to meetings. I would hear people say, well, the Lord told me this today, and the Lord told me that today. And we know God can speak to us. I doubt that there's anybody in the room that hasn't had God indicate something to them at one time or another. But when you get up in the morning, between that time and the time you to go, go to bed, are you hearing voices? Are you having this constant verbal dialogue with God? Well, I have to tell you that about 20, 25 years ago, I began to look into this matter in the Bible. And you don't find that in the Bible, really. You find instances where God will speak to people, guide people, tell people things. But generally, if you look into the New Testament, how much teaching do you really find there? And I'm talking about a how-to-do. How much teaching do you really find there about divine guidance? Does Paul the Apostle ever say, here's how to find out what the will of God is, presto change of one, two, three, do these three things, and you'll discover the will of God, and then you can go and do it. You don't hardly find any teaching along that line. In fact, if you look into the book of Acts, how many times in the book of Acts, which was certainly a church close to God, do you actually find God coming down from heaven and dialoguing with people like that? Now, you have a few, few instances where that's the case. It'll say the Holy Spirit spoke and said thus. But if you really look into the New Testament, you don't find loads and loads and loads of teaching on how to find God's direction on things, what you do find is how to know God. What you do find is the constant exhortation from the apostles as to the necessity of growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Remember some of those scriptures that we read over the last couple of weeks. For instance, Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1. He says, I want you to have your eyes opened to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And how many times have we read over the last few weeks that it is God's will that we might know Him? Now, how many are beginning to see something here? If you and I begin to know Jesus Christ... Can we see that from that we are going to begin to discern His will and to know what He wants us to do? And that doesn't exclude the possibility of God speaking in specific instances. But it tells me that God is working in this thing from a completely different angle than many of us have been taught. I don't know about you, but I have found as a principle, certainly in my own life, that I have been in many situations where I was on the verge maybe of even panicking. I was desperate. I needed to hear from God. I would pray and pray and pray, Lord, tell me what to do. And God wouldn't tell me what to do. I got silence. Has that ever happened to you? Well, if it hasn't, it will. And that's not because God's reluctant to speak. That's not because God doesn't care. It isn't because God isn't answering prayer. I believe, and I have found this to be so, 
that when God is being silent and not speaking, it is best for us that he be silent. And he would say to us, and he does in his word, I'm not going to talk to you right now about this because this is a time during which I want you to get to know me. And I have found again and again and again that if we do like Paul said to the Galatians, if we stand fast upon the faithfulness of God in these matters, when he is silent to us, we, we believe him and we know that he's being faithful, that what ends up happening is that we grow to know him in a way that any word that he would have spoke to us in the meantime could not even approach as far as depth, spiritual growth, and edification for us. God's pretty smart. I have to tell you, I can look back in situations in my life where I would get really mad at God because I felt like I needed an answer from Him about certain things. And He wouldn't give me an answer. And I look back and I now recognize that, number one, if God had spoken to me and told me what that was all about, I probably wouldn't have gotten it because I didn't have the spiritual aptitude to be able to receive it the way he meant it. That's number one. But number two, I recognize that if God had spoke to me, it may have aborted what he really wanted to do with me. There's times, and we need to come to terms with this as Christians, where God will have us in a situation deliberately where there's nothing we can do to help ourselves, where there's nothing he's going to say, where it seems as if all of our needs are not being satisfied presently, it's entirely possible that all of that could be true about our situation, and that could very well be exactly what God wants at that time for us. He wants us not to know because it's not time to know. He simply wants us to trust him without knowing. You see, we think that because we get panicky and all agitated, that somehow, you know, God would never want us to be that way, so he's got to storm down from heaven and do whatever it takes to put us at ease. And God would say to us, I've already written an entire Bible that ought to put you at ease if you just start to believe a few things written there. And I'm not going to speak to you further right now because I've given you my word already. And you need to start to grow in a relationship with me. Now, what all this adds up to, as I mentioned, is a communion or a relationship with God out of which all of our discernment and leadings and direction need to come. God is never, for instance, going to lead you and I in any way that is contrary to himself, to his character, to his stated will. Now, to lay the groundwork for this, we need to establish something that ought to be so self-evident that it's hardly even necessary to say it. We need to establish, number one, that God has a will for you and I. Now, I say that because I think there's a lot of professing Christians that don't really believe that. 
I don't think that professing Christians as a whole would go around and say that. They wouldn't say, well, God doesn't care or God doesn't have a will for my life. But I think that we sort of suggest that he doesn't by virtue of the fact that we don't seek him for his will for our lives. We just sort of think God's making it up as he goes along. Or, and this is more common, we have this idea of the Christian life where we are supposed to sort of go along best we can in life, and then when need arises, we sort of invite God into our life for help. That's sort of our idea of the Christian life. We're just sort of to get along the best we can, because after all, we're all going to heaven someday. That's kind of the attitude. And once in a while, when need arises, we invite God in, because we need some help, or the Bible says we ought to, so we invite him in because we think it's our duty. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not us inviting God into our life. Christianity is God bringing us into his life. And what I'm saying is that Christianity is not about once in a while us asking for God's help or asking for God's will. Christianity is about God proactively already having a will for you and I. He's not confused about. He's not making up as he goes along. He knows the beginning from the end. And Christianity is about us growing into that. And God catching us up in what he already knows that he wants to do. How many recognize that in one sense of the word, the entire plan of redemption, the entire thing that God is doing in all of creation through Jesus Christ, in a very real sense of the word, that is the will of God being worked out, bringing the will of God back into being in charge of his universe. That's what redemption really is in the end, with all of its various components and elements. It's the will of God being established again. Overall, Jesus is Lord. And he certainly has a will for our lives. Now, what is the will of God for our lives? Well, at the core of that, the will of God for you and I is our fellowship or relationship with him. Now, I'm not even talking about, you know, practicalities of that. What I'm saying is in the mind of God, He knows what His relationship with us needs to look like. Or if I could put it a different way, God, as it were, has a blueprint of His relationship that He wants with each and every one of us. That relationship in and of itself is the will of God. Consequently, make it a little practical, if my relationship with God is filled with unbelief, well, that's not God's will, is it? God's will for a relationship is that I trust Him. If my relationship with God is that I'm still clinging on to certain aspects of my life that that God wants me to be free of, then my relationship with him doesn't look like God wants it to look like, if you can see what I'm getting at. 
And so the relationship itself is and needs to be according to the will of God. And that is the fundamental thing that God's working on in our lives. And everything really in the end is going to serve toward that end. If my relationship with God is not right, then how far am I going to get in my eternal relationship with Him if God would just sit in heaven and start giving directions to go do this and go do that when, my, when the core of the relationship isn't right? I'll give you an example. I don't know if I've ever given this example before here or not. I knew a guy in California. He, he professed to be a Christian. He was a young man. And he decided one day to shack up with a girl. And they were living in immorality. He knew better, said as much. But as these things go, he got entangled in this relationship and just couldn't bring himself to break it off. And this girl also was a professing Christian. And as he told it later, they would talk about the fact that what they were doing was wrong. No big secret here. They, they knew it was wrong. And they would actually pray together about whether they should break up. Well, you know what? There are just some things, if we're talking about finding God's will and direction, there are just some things you don't need to pray about. There isn't anything confusing about thou shalt not commit adultery. There isn't anything confusing about thou shalt not steal. I've been amazed in my travels at how many people say they pray for the will of God but absolutely refuse to obey it when it's right in front of their face. And this was a case. Well, just to show you how merciful God is. He was praying and praying and praying, and I guess conviction of the Holy Spirit was getting worse and worse, thank God. I guess his girlfriend went out for groceries one day, and he got down on his knees in their apartment. And he says, Lord, I don't know what to do about this. I know we should split up. But, you know, this is hard, all those rationalizations. And he said to the Lord, Lord, if it be your will that we break up, then when my girlfriend comes back from the grocery store, let the first words out of her mouth be that she was praying the same prayer on the way to the store and believes we ought to break up. Now, again, there are just some things you don't need to pray about. And this guy didn't need to ask God that. He already knew what God's will was. But, guess what happened? This girlfriend came back from the grocery store, and the first words that came out of her mouth when she came in was exactly what he asked the Lord that they would be. He laid out the fleece, and God honored it. And so there it was. And guess what his response was? And this was the point at which I know I had a conversation with him. His response was, I'm still not sure what the will of the Lord is. <laughs> now, can we see what the problem there is? The problem's unbelief and a resistance to obey God. And that in and of itself will never be corrected by God simply issuing marching orders. Because the problem is in the heart. 
You talk about a sign and a wonder and seeking that for confirmation. The man did it. The guy did it. God gave it to him. And it didn't budge him one inch. So again, big difference between getting direction from God and being rightly related to God by faith. The latter is what God's working on. And God would have said to that man, your relationship with me is not the way that my will says that it needs to be. And I can't fix that by telling you to go over here and go over there and go do this and go do that. I have to fix it by getting you to repent and obey me. So God has a will and he knows what that will looks like as it pertains to a relationship with each and every one of us. And if that's the case, then we can be sure that God wants to do His will in our lives. I mean, again, one of the more self-evident statements that I could make, but if God has a will, God wants to do His will. Otherwise, it wouldn't be His will. You can't have a will unless you want to do it. Anything else in your self-contradictory, right? So if God has a will for you and for me in life, then God wants to do that and achieve that more than we want it. In fact, I would dare say in the beginning we haven't even got a clue what that is. So there isn't any question about whether God wants His will in our lives. Turn just real quick to Hebrews 11 little passage there which says a whole lot. It's easy to pass over in this verse, Hebrews 11.6. It says there, this is the faith chapter, it says, but without faith it is impossible to please God. Now why is it impossible to please God without faith? It says, because he that would draw near to God must believe that God is, well that's pretty Pretty, pretty easy to see why that is. If you don't believe God exists, then how in the world are you even going to draw near to Him? You won't be doing that. So that's a pretty, pretty clear statement. But the second part here is what I want to get at. It says, He that would draw near to God must believe that He is, but that also that God is a rewarder or a recompenser or a responder, the best translation would be, to them that diligently seek Him. Now what this is saying, now remember, this is about faith. It's saying without faith it is impossible to please God because anybody that would draw near to God needs to believe that if they draw near to God, God is responding to them. In other words, the very basis of faith is that you believe that if you seek God, God's listening and responding. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that if you don't have that, you aren't even going to get started. You can't get far with God unless you believe that. Because what you are really saying in that case is that I can cry out to Almighty God in the name of Jesus and He doesn't care. And if that's the case, where do we go from there? Well, we have nowhere to go if that's the case, if that was true. 
So the writer of Hebrews is saying the very basis of faith is that God is a responder to those who call upon him. Or to plug it into where we are here today in today's message, the basis of faith is that God already has a will, wants to do it, and if we seek him for that will, we can't miss it. If we were to write this thing up in a little formula, it might go as follows, and it's really quite remarkable and incredible if you think about this. Number one, God has a will. Number two, God wants to do his will in us and through us. Number three, if we yield to God for that, it's a big if, it results in number four, we get the will of God every time. And so what I'm saying is that it is absolutely impossible for you and I not to have the full will of God in our lives if we're yielding to him because he wants it. He is in the process of doing it. And the only thing standing in the way of that is the process that we have to go through to be made fit for the will of God. Now again, if all the will of God was is God handing out directions, then probably all of us would be fit for it right now. If God tells me to go over here and do something, I can do that. If God tells me to go over here and do something, I can do that. But once I recognize that the will of God is a fellowship and relationship with Him that makes me able to walk with Him through life, included in which is discernment and direction, then can we see that we're really talking about not just being made fit for things, we're, being, we're talking about being made fit for God. In other words, God has to make us able to walk with Him in truth. If we're going to be people in whom and through whom God does His will, then can we see that we've got to become the will of God, not just do it. I've often said, if God could actually have a relationship with us that is His will, then he would have people through whom he could do his will because we wouldn't get our own agenda in the way, would we? Can you imagine what God could accomplish through people like that? You see, when you give everything about yourself to God, God is able to do anything he wants in you and through you or even for you. When you're free of trying to direct traffic for God, God is free to direct traffic in your life. Now I recognize that most of us, and I hope this is clear, don't shake our fist at God and deliberately resist Him or rebel against Him in these matters. At least we don't intend to do that. But you see, like the book of Proverbs says about children, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. You and I have this flesh thing. And even though right now when we turn to God, we may be absolutely sincere in every way that we know that we want His will and that we will cooperate with Him in it, it's a little harder when it comes time to live it, isn't it? 
Because what God is going to say to us is that in order to get the relationship I want with you to look like I need it to look, God would say to you, i got to use my number one chief relationship shaper. In other words, God would say, I've got to shape you. I've got to conform you, God would say to us, to me, so that you can walk with me, and that takes the work of the cross. And then it becomes more difficult, doesn't it? Again, it isn't a matter of direction from God. It's a matter of surrendering to him. So God has a will, and God wants to do his will. But in order for him to do his full will in our lives, and we're talking about a progressive unfolding of things here, God has to progressively cause us to become his will, or in other words, he has to develop that relationship with himself that will enable us to walk with him in his will. Now, another point. God has a will. God wants to do his will. Have we recognized, and this again, it's so self-evident if you read the Bible, but I don't know that a lot of us have thought about this. Have we recognized that seeking the will of God for our lives is not supposed to be optional? In other words, it isn't some higher form of Christianity that we would surrender our will to God and let Jesus be Lord of our lives. That isn't a higher form of Christianity. That is Christianity. There isn't any other kind. I often say we talk about surrender to God. Unconditional surrender to God. Unconditional surrender to God is the only kind of surrender there is. God has a will. And He is going to have it. He's going to have it with us or He's going to have it without us. But He's going to have it. And so really, there's only two choices. And God says, if you want what I have, if you want to be in my purpose, you have to surrender to my will. Give you an example. Again, a practical example. Let's take an example, say, of finances, of God's provision for us. We get into difficulties regarding God's provision for us financially, and we sometimes argue about this, but if I trust God on this, maybe this will happen. You know, and it's hard to have faith because we don't know where faith in God's going to take us. And we act like we're, we're searching for the best option or the best deal. There isn't an option, and there's not a deal. God says to us, I want you to depend on me 100%. That's what God's will is. Consequently, that if, if we're in a situation like that, right there we know what the will of God is and where we got to start. The will of God is not for us to figure out how to get God to help us. The will of God is to surrender to Him and depend upon Him, burn our bridges, go for broke, and say what Jesus said on the cross, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's God's will. That's a relationship. That's what it looks like. The relationship looks like just on this one matter of dependence. And so in other words, this isn't a matter of saying, but... I wonder what's going to happen if I trust God and weighing options. There aren't options. It's God's will for you to trust Him no matter what happens. How many know that 
if it really came down to it, and I dare say it usually doesn't, but if it really came down to it, it's better to trust God and lose everything and go down the drain than to hold back to part of this life and forfeit what God really has for us. What did Paul say in Philippians 3? He said, I have suffered the loss of all things that I may win Christ and know him. For Paul, he had to do that. For most of us, we don't. But I dare say we have to face the choice. We have to do the surrender. It may not be worked out in the sense of actually losing everything, but we got to lose it in the sense of surrendering it. And God says, that's my will for you. It's not optional that we seek the will of God. God says, I have a will for your life. I'm not giving you the choice in the sense of the word that I have two wills or three wills. I have one will. Seek me. And the fact of the matter is, and I've found this to be true too, and maybe you have, that if you seek God with all of your heart, you can't miss his will. What, do we think we can seek God and miss his will? How do you do that? No. You seek God with all of your heart. What you get is God in everything that comes with the package, including his will. Seek ye first the kingdom and all things will be added. And so God wants to do his will and he's in the process of adjusting us for it. Now a couple practicalities as to how we can know what is the will of God. Now that I've got established that we need to have a relationship with God out of which these things come. I trust I've established that, but we need to walk, don't we? And there are going to be situations that we encounter where we need to know what God's will is, and sometimes it's not just a matter of opening the Bible, because I've searched every page in the Bible and I can't find my name in there. It doesn't say, thus saith the Lord, David, go do this. Unless we're talking about King David. But there are situations that arise in life that sometimes it's a little more difficult than others to find the will of God. Let's establish some principles uh, to go by. Number one, we have God's written word, the Bible. Now, everything in God's written word, the Bible, is a statement of his will for us. I've said many times that the written word of God is a written revelation of him. And, of course, closely related to that is that all through the written word of God are commands, teachings, doctrines. What does the Bible say? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is useful for reproof, direction, teaching, and so forth number of places the Bible talks about itself. number of places Jesus quoted the Bible. So we have God's Word. Now we need that because we have to have a standard to go by, especially when we don't know the Lord himself all that well in the beginning of our Christian walk. When I was in college, talk about standards. When I was in college, we went to this prankster shop one time. 
where you could buy all these party prank things. And one of the things that we bought there was a tape measure, one of these tailor tape measures you can roll up in a ball. And the reason it was a gag gift was that the inch marks were actually seven-eighths of an inch apart. And so you could give that to somebody or take their real one out of their drawer and replace it with this. I wouldn't recommend doing any of this, incidentally, but you know how these things are when you're in college. And so this tape measure was inaccurate, wasn't it? Now, how would you check out the accuracy of that tape measure, the gag gift? Would you take this cloth tape measure and, and turn it over on itself and see if the inch marks lined up? And if they did, would you be right in saying, it's accurate? Well, of course it would line up because error always affirms error, doesn't it? Now, what you need to check the accuracy of something like that is a true standard. So, in other words, if you brought in an accurate tape measure and you put it alongside of the gag gift of a tape measure, you would immediately see the inaccuracies of that tape measure that was deliberately made inaccurate. And that's the way it works with God's Word, with truth, and so forth. If we don't have a standard for truth and God's direction, we're going to be left to our own thinking. We're going to be like an inaccurate tape measure. And I'll tell you something, you depart from God's Word and you will eventually get to the place where you think you're right every time. Because you're measuring yourself by yourself. That's why in this day and age where the Word of God, the Bible, is being neglected at best and totally rejected at worst, that's why heresy and every abominable thing you can name is not only being taught, but now being practiced. God gave His Word for a reason, and it wasn't because He likes to hear the sound of His own voice. He gave it to us for direction and teaching, and we must obey it. I'll tell you something, you and I won't obey the Word of God, we're on our own. God's given it to us for the purpose of keeping us in line with His will. And if we don't obey it, consequences eventually will come about. Now, God will certainly, if we don't obey it, bring conviction. But I'm speaking in terms of just keep going, if we keep going along that path of disobedience. So God gave His Word. Now, the second thing God gave as a standard to go by is in the Word. It's His moral law. Like I mentioned earlier, there's nothing confusing about thou shalt not steal, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not commit adultery and all those commandments. They're not the ten suggestions. And what I'm getting at is that I don't care how real it seems, and I don't care how sure you are. I don't care if a voice audibly was spoken to you from what you thought was heaven. If what you are being told does not line up with God's moral law, and the Word of God, it's not God speaking. Now, I've had people, if you can believe this, I have known people personally that have told me that God spoke to them in an audible voice. 
and then they told me what he said, and I knew that it wasn't God. I've had people say, God told me to divorce my wife and marry somebody else. I've heard stories like that. God doesn't tell people to do that. But they heard something. That's why the Bible says, test the spirits. Because there are possibilities that are all over the map when we get into this kind of thing, and God has given us his word and his moral law. Now, the final thing that God has given us certainly is the most important, and I've already mentioned this, I opened with this. If we want direction from God, if we want to know what his will is, God has given us his son, Jesus Christ, and it is by knowing him more than any other method that we come to know the will of God. Now, I can link this up to this idea of the Word of God. Have you ever noticed how it is entirely possible for even Christian people to open this book, the Bible, and to find just about anything you might imagine in there to affirm their lifestyle? I've had people read right out of the Bible verses that they claim supports homosexuality, immorality, all kinds of things. People justify that from Scripture. Now that's some of the more blatant things. We have other more difficult things like doctrinal heresy. There isn't one heresy anybody teaches today that they don't use Bible verses to support. And yet it's wrong. So what we see in that is, yes, the Bible remains the standard for truth in written form. But it gets back to a relationship with God. How am I going to be able to read the Bible and know what it means unless I come into a growing knowledge of the author? Anybody on this planet from the hardened atheists to agnostics to anybody you would want to name, can tell you if they open the Bible what the Bible says. All they have to do is read it. They can say to you, here's what the Bible says. But only the Holy Spirit and a growing knowledge of Jesus can cause us to know what the Bible means by what it says. Because in that case, the Holy Spirit will convey to us the heart and mind of God. Remember when Jesus was telling his disciples that he was going to go away? And I think it was Philip at that time that said to him, Well, you know, Jesus, you're going away. You say you're going to the Father. He said, Show us the Father and it will be sufficient. He said, How in the world can we know the way to the Father? Remember that pronouncement that Jesus made, one of the most often quoted verses in the Bible? Jesus said to Philip, you want to know the way to God? And he could have added, do you want to know how to know God? Do you want to know how to know God's will for your life? Jesus was saying, you want to know the way? I am the way. What did he mean by that? That you just come to God for salvation through Christ? Well, that's included, of course. But what he's really saying there is that if you want to know God, if you want to know God's will for your life, if you want to walk in God's will for your life, 
Jesus is saying, I am the way of that, you get there by knowing me and by growing in the grace and knowledge of me. What does Hebrews 1.1 say? You can look this up later. It says there, God in times past has spoken to us through many vehicles, and it lists a few, prophets and people such as that. He says, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by who? Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean that all you need to do to get spoken to by God is open the Gospels and read the words in red. God certainly has spoken those words to us through Christ. All the words of Christ. But what it's saying there is God's word to us is Christ. The person of Christ gave sermons a month ago or more that what God's doing is he is forming Christ in us. He is creating us in Christ. In other words, again, he wants us to know him. And then out of knowing him, we will more and more know what is of him. If you have a close relationship, for instance, with a parent, or used to, aren't there times when you know what the parent wants, you don't even need to ask them? You know, because you know them. You know their mind, you know their heart. That's the way it's supposed to be between us and God. And so God would say to us, listen, there are tons and tons of things that I have revealed in my word and in my law that aren't confusing. A lot of them you don't even need to pray about because they are so evident as far as my will. There are other things that may not be as clearly spelled out, although they are in the word of God and we will see them eventually. And he would say to us, on those areas, as to my will for your life, you seek God. You seek to know Jesus. You let God shape you in a way that your relationship with Him will look like He wants it to look. And as you do, as you grow up in that, the will of God as a byproduct becomes very, very evident. And you begin to see what God's doing, and you begin to see what His will is in certain matters in a way you couldn't before because you didn't know God before, like you do now. Mentioned earlier, and I'll close with this thought, that if you look into the New Testament, there is some teaching about divine guidance. In fact, we might be able to say the whole Bible is a book on divine guidance because it does give direction. But if you look into the New Testament through the book of Acts and the epistles, you don't find a whole lot of teaching on here's a one, two, three snappy step on how to know the will of God or the voice of God. What it does say is my desire for you, again Paul's prayer, is that you might know Jesus Christ. That you might have a revelation of Him. And then on the hills of that, he says, and then you'll know His purpose and His plan. 
Let's turn to Romans 12, and we'll close with this scripture. I said I was going to close with that other thought, but this one occurs to me, and it's such a good one that just gathers all of this up for today. Romans 12, 1 and 2, this is that scripture where it says that we need to tell God whatever it takes God. And of course, in large part, what we're really saying today is that we are to say to God, whatever it takes, Lord, bring your will to pass in my life. We're to say to God, whatever it takes, make my relationship with you look like you want it to look and be like you want it to be. That's surrender. And if we do that, we can't fail to have it. And it's going to say that right here. It says here in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, because of the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. For this is your reasonable service or spiritual worship. It's another translation. And then he says how to do this. One of the ways to work out presenting yourself to God. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may, by the renewing of your mind, prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So again, rather than issue a how-to book, one, two, three, here's how you get God to speak to you, here's how you figure out what God's saying, Paul the Apostle says, here's how to know the will of God. Surrender to God. Unconditionally. And tell Him to cause you to know Him. Be transformed. In other words, be transformed by the Holy Spirit and become a witness, living-wise, of the will of God. Become the will of God. And he says, what's going to come with the package is that you're going to prove what the will of God is. can't know God without coming into a certain amount of discernment of his will. It's just impossible. It comes with a package. 